Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast, the Trojan Blast version of our Peristyle Podcast. That means we're talking all about USC football. Recruiting Gerard Martinez, our national recruiting analyst, and myself just got back from Chicago. We were on Soldier Field with the top 100 players in the country. Got to see very just some of the top talent, the future of college football at Soldier Field for the Rivals 100 five-star challenge. We're going to talk all about that. We're going to get to your questions on USC recruiting, and we got to address the Matthew Thomas situation. Lots going on. We're going to try to squeeze it all into this one Peristyle podcast, Trojan Blast, and we got to get Gerard on the phone since he knows everything that's going on. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? There's actually a lot to talk about this week. Uh, it's been kind of a low for recruiting. And now we have a lot to get into, so we're going to try to squeeze <laughs> as much as we can into uh, this Trojan Blast. Yeah, so you've got to earn your money now. You've just been on cruise control the last couple of months. You know, not much recruiting going on. Now, Gerard, you got to earn your pay. Yes, so <laughs> let's, let's get to it. Let okay. me get to the grind. Let's get to the grind. Well, Matthew Thomas, Joe Shad came out and uh, broke this story the other day. I think it was uh, Tuesday morning or was it Monday night or whatever it was, Matthew Thomas is going to USC. You got a hold of his dad, wrote an in-depth story. Matthew Thomas is coming to USC, according to his dad. Now Warchant comes out, the the Rivals.com Florida State site, and says Matthew Thomas is going to report on Saturday and sign with Florida State or uh, attend Florida State. What's going on here? Good question. Um, I definitely think that – at this point, it seems like Matthew Thomas is going to go ahead and enroll at Florida State. You know, I certainly don't question uh, the Warchan article, and it certainly was a statement that was released to various media outlets, uh, specifically uh, Florida State affiliate outlets. And so it seems like that's going to be the case. We were told otherwise by his father just the night before, uh, as ESPN was. And it's just one of those situations that uh, USC, again, kind of gets caught up in the melodrama of recruiting. And uh, this has happened with various recruits. And you kind of get a sense from the fan base that they're sick of it. You know, when these kind of things happen, everybody takes a vested interest in recruiting, follows recruiting, especially alums. They go to the school, and when something like this happens, they sometimes take it a little too personally. And there's always blame, and people want to point the finger, and obviously Lane Kiffin's name comes up a lot. Uh, sometimes that even uh, goes into, you know, Pat Hayden and, and kind of how he's running the program. And now it's kind of overflown to we get some blame. Uh, <laughs> it's been, you know, some, some people have been, uh, you know, uh, I, I think upset over the situation of, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Jason Hatcher, 
Eddie Vanderdose, and now you have the Matthew Thomas situation where I think, you know, that, that old phrase, don't kill the messenger, comes up, and there's a phrase that exists because people did kill the messenger at some point. And so I think that's kind of sort of how it is right now with the fans. They want somebody to blame. Uh, it's kind of uh, a symptom of maybe an unhealthy program and, and things just not clicking. And, um, you know, she's just got to get on the field, and they got to play football, and they got to be successful, and that's just the bottom line. These type of things, you know, don't happen as frequently and don't really happen as much when you're winning games. And they say winning cures all. Maybe that's true, but it certainly it definitely would, I think, help these type of situations where you've got kids that may be on the fence and, you know, these kind of splitting hair type decisions. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I want to ask you about that because we've seen some posts on the message board. Um, the the story was broke by, you know, national media outlet Joe Shad, who covers college football nationally for uh, ESPN. Um, you got a, a more in-depth story talking to his dad. I mean, this is not speculation. This is not like we think that this is what's going to happen. As you talk to the kid's father, and he's come flat out and says, this and I remember stuff happening with Jason Hatcher's mom and stuff that she told you before and and I, I mean why do you think this is happening that, that some of these guys are changing their mind at the last minute and it, it seems like we get caught up in this because we can only report what the people are saying and it's not like it's a, a source thing it's a this is someone on the record that's the kid or close to the kid saying this is what I'm going to do and then a few days later it seems to change yeah exactly and uh, it's, yeah, it's not a, you know, we have sources that say this, or this is what I think from talking to various people. I mean, you get somebody on record and they tell you one thing and they do another. It's really on them. I mean, they're the ones that kind of look the goat. I think that, uh, when it comes to, to parents being sources, I usually am very hesitant with parents when they're talking about other kids specifically because parents tend to have agendas and they're very myopic when it comes to, you know, their son and, and recruiting and, and just in general what people say about them and what they want to get done uh, with, uh, you know, the, the, the image and kind of the profile of their son. So that's understandable. But when you're talking about your own son, you figure that that parent uh, is in in the loop <laughs> with what's going on with uh, their recruitment, and uh, if if not, then you think that they're trying to be honest and and just you know give you uh, exactly what's going on. What happened with Matthew Thomas remains to be seen. Uh, you know, I try to reach out to his father. You know, for a follow up. You know, we've tried to reach out to Matthew Thomas many many times. And he wasn't taking questions and really didn't answer, uh, to my knowledge to this point, you know, anybody, any questions and did any interviews uh, about this situation. He basically just put out a statement. I don't know how that statement got out, if it was, you know, the Booker T coaching staff, if it was through Florida State. Um, I don't think technically Florida State can do that yet if he's not enrolled. It's a very complicated, weird situation. I mean, USC could not recruit Matthew Thomas after signing day. I mean, that's when it ended. He signed in the letter of intent for Florida State. So it was basically they could not contact him, and Matthew Thomas could not contact USC. So it was really Florida State. I mean, they could go down and, and meet with him and talk with him. And from what I'm understanding, Jimbo Fisher went down after his father made that statement of, you know, he doesn't want to go to Florida State. He's going to go to USC and met with Matthew Thomas and, you know, snap your fingers, all of a sudden he's going to Florida State. So they were able to recruit him. They were able to talk to him as much as they wanted to. Um, and obviously that put USC at a disadvantage. Uh, but that was just kind of the way it played out because those are the rules. And, uh, you know, as far as, 
how it works for us and how we approach these stories in the future, I, I don't know. I, I think you can only do so much. You know, you can only go and, and quote, you know, people directly and, and try to be as accurate with what they're saying as possible and convey their meaning. You know, we've had situations where, you know, we've talked to parents and had parents go on record about their son's recruitment. And then, you know, they're also a part of our message board community and they're on the peristyle and they read posts and you can't necessarily call somebody, talk to them, quote them directly, and then all of a sudden get on your message board and say, yeah, but we don't really believe anything they just told us. You know, that's not, that's not really something that you can do if you want to keep your sources. And so it's one of those things where you kind of have to, to delegate a little bit. You, you try to ask the, the hard questions as, as much as possible and try to get the truth as much as possible. But if somebody just wants to, you know, blow smoke at you and, and has, you know, some other agenda, it's just it's going to be what it is, you know. And, and that's kind of, again, when you're a program that's kind of reeling and you've lost some games, and there's, there's questions about the future of the coaching staff. These type of things tend to happen more often than not. You just didn't see this happen with Pete Carroll when USC was winning and was on top. And it's not to say it's all on Lane Kiffin, because it's really not, but it's just where they are right now as a program. And again, you win, and maybe this stuff, type of stuff doesn't happen so much. These 50-50 battles start to go your way more than they go the other way. Uh, well, Gerard, we also attended the uh, Rivals Five Star One, you know, Rivals One Hundred Five Star Challenge in Chicago. A uh, bunch of USC targets. If you check the site, we've had a ton of content going up uh, since over the weekend. I wanted to talk about some individual guys. Is that cool with you? Let's talk about individual guys. All There's right. a lot of them to talk about, so we got to be quick with each one of them. Yeah, and we do have some questions that that people wrote in about guys that were there. So I'll. In that case, I'm going to use a question. The first one I want to talk about is uh, a Dory Jackson. And Chris in Arizona wrote in. He said, I have a question regarding ja- uh, Dory Jackson. Um, last podcast, there were some comparisons made between Jackson and other players, such as Nikel Roby. When I look at Jackson, he reminds me physically so much of DeAnthony Thomas. Am I off base here? They seem similar in stature. And does Jackson have comparable athleticism to Thomas? And we, we put up a uh, highlight video of... Uh, Dory Jackson on USCfootball.com. So you can see he made a ton of plays, played both sides of the ball. So you can definitely check out all of the the, the cool stuff that he did over there. And uh, Gerard wanted to get your thoughts on that question from Chris. I think that's a good cross comparison. I think he's a little bit of a, a DeAnthony Thomas and a little bit of a Nikel Roby. Um, he's not quite as dynamic or fast as DeAnthony Thomas. I think DeAnthony Thomas uh, just athletically, one of those very elite players, and you know his track time spoke to that. Uh, and then on the football field, just dynamically quick. I mean, he off the blocks is just extremely, extremely quick. I think Adore Jackson has some of that ability on offense. I think he has some of those uh, traits uh, in terms of ball skills, in terms of his uh, awareness in the open field, um, but maybe not quite the level of DeAnthony Thomas. But then. Physically, he's a little bigger, he's a little stronger, and you could see, you know, some cross comparison with Nikel Roby. And Nikel Roby, the way he played style-wise, and as a cornerback, uh, his agility and his quickness, um, kind of being a little more on par there with Adoree Jackson. So I think that's a good cross comparison uh, between those two players. All right, uh, and just quickly, what do you think of Jackson from uh, Five Star Challenge? He didn't make. This is surprising to me. He didn't make the. Uh, the all-star team or whatever they had. And I was kind of shocked by that. He just seemed to be making, you know, catching touchdowns all over the place and then playing pretty well at corner too. 
I'm pretty surprised by that as well. I think that uh, he was definitely one of the best players on his team, one of the best players at the camp. I think first day he was much better than the second day. First day he came out, did drills, played defensive back, but they weren't really doing seven-on-seven a whole lot in that first day, and I think he kind of got antsy and wanted to be a part of the show a little more, so he flipped over to offense, made some great plays, looked really good on offense first day, and then was a little more quiet the second day. He had a a few big plays, uh, but he also had a couple drops here and there. Um, So, you know, second day was really the biggest competition day and really where the seven-on-seven tournament started to really take place. Um, He wasn't quite, um, I think, impactful as he was, you know, first day just in drills. So, I can see maybe, you know, in terms of receiver and cornerback, he didn't settle in at one and didn't make a bunch of plays just at one position. And so he kind of watered down his performance a little bit by going both ways in the camp. All right. Uh, Let's see. There's Damian Mama uh, from St. John Bosco. I got the uh, offensive lineman MVP award. And and Ryan White had a question about him, about what – you love these questions, Gerard. What are our chances – be able to land another California beast guard, Damian Mama, and you think uh, having him, his high school teammate Nico Fala at USC would help getting him to sign on the dotted line. What do you think about Damian Mama, who had a, a really good performance at the camp? I think Nico Fala's influence on his recruitment is probably minimal. I think Damian Mama is really an SC fan and because his family's really SC oriented and I think he's going to want to stay close to home at the end of the day, USC has a really good shot at him. He was excellent in the camp. He won MVP in the offensive line. Uh, Demetrius Knox was right there with him, but Demetrius Knox chose to really not be involved in any of the timed events, any of the cone events, any of the agility events. Uh, he had a sore hamstring, so he sat that out. But Damian Mama performed in all aspects and was really, really good. And you know, he had himself out there actually playing a little bit of right tackle and looked pretty good playing right tackle, and then they moved him inside, and that was where he was tremendously dominant. And, you know, my opinion is one thing, but when you have Hudson Hawk, who's a legendary offensive line coach, Cowboys, uh, Seattle Seahawks, you know, USC Trojan, a, a guy that, uh, I mean, is, is just revered among the pros when he says, I think he might be the best offensive lineman here and talks about him being, you know, a guy that has future pro potential, you really kind of really take note of that. That that was very, very uh, impactful just, you know, to listen to him talk about Damian Mama. And we actually wrote a story and, uh, and quoted him a little bit and, and asked him about Damian Mama and let him break him down uh, performance-wise over the weekend. And uh, so, you know, rave reviews for Damian Mama, uh, 6'4", 368 pounds. And, and you look at him and he's got, you know, baby fat and he's got so much – upside as well. I mean, you're looking at a guy that was dominant, but you look at a guy that's also got a lot of physical upside. So uh, uh, USC's got a real good shot at him, and uh, he is a tremendous player. Uh, One other question that we got, this one's from Melvin on someone that was at the Rivals 100 five-star challenge. What do you think about Juju Smith of Long Beach Poly? Is he a plan A recruit for defensive back, or is he someone USC will be looking at only as a plan B if they lose a guy like a Dory Jackson from Sarah? Or is Smith slotted for another position like receiver? That's uh, Melvin and Juju Smith. John Juju Smith from Long Beach Poly was at the Rivals 100. We got to see a lot of him. We'll have highlights of him coming up as well. I think Juju Smith's definitely a plan A, but he's a plan A as a safety. Um, I don't think there's really any conflict with the Dory Jackson. Dory Jackson comes, a Dory Jackson goes. 
I don't think that affects the recruitment of Juju Smith. There's a possibility he still could play receiver in college, but the more we see him this spring and watch him, I think the more he seems better suited for safety. And I think uh, he's a real top player at that. And he did that in this in this camp. He was one of those guys that uh, was consistently good. Didn't have huge highlight plays. But he was there, and he was playing for really the best team in seven on seven, and was starting for them, and and went you know full on for them the whole tournament, and played really well. And again, consistency, and I think in this type of uh, environment, when you're talking about seven on seven, a guy that can't really come in there and hit people, uh, and he's a physical safety as well. He's a guy that's got great ball skills, but I think he has a lot of balance in terms of being able to come up and be a guy that's physical also at the line of scrimmage at about six one, almost two hundred pounds. So you don't get to see those aspects in this type of uh, a scenario you really just have to see him in space and see his ball skills and he was consistently good doing that so I think he's a plan a but I think he's definitely a plan a as a safety right now okay that makes sense yeah I liked him too he did well you'll see the highlights of him he made a he made a couple you know big plays batting balls away and stuff like that was you know throwing his body around where he could dive in a ball so um, it'll be interesting to see there uh, let's see let's go to now this was a, a former USC commit uh, that we got to see some of at the Rivals Five Star Challenge. Casey Tucker, who was there last year too, as a 2015 kid. What do you think about him? I thought Casey Tucker was actually pretty good. Um, you know, he got moved around a little bit uh, with some power moves and the one-on-one drills, but. I think, you know, looking at him physically and seeing how he's developed, he's one of those guys that's a true offensive tackle. He's probably a right offensive tackle, but he's definitely a true offensive tackle, and those guys are few and far between. I mean, you're looking at Damian Mama, he's going to be a guard. You're looking at uh, Tolan Lobendon, who USC already has committed, he's going to be a center or he's going to be a guard. Um, you look at uh, Vianney uh, Talamayevo, that's another guy that's going to be a guard. Some of the top players uh, regionally are all guards, so you're looking at that guy that has the height and the length to be able to really be an offensive tackle, and I think Casey Tucker can do that. And I think he's a good player that, with continued coaching, is going to be better. And so, you know, I think he's a guy that USC has to continue to recruit. Um, You know, do they have to go full on for him? You know, that remains to be seen. It depends on if there's somebody else there that they feel comfortable with uh, that they can recruit an offensive tackle. But they're few and far between in the region, and I think that means that uh, they're going to still have to go after him and try to work him back. And the only way that's going to happen, again, it goes back to the Matthew Thomas thing. It goes back to, you know, just the conversation about USC's chances with certain guys. They got to win. They got to win on the field. They got to get back to being uh, a program with prestige. And in the eyes of the recruits, it's what have you done for me lately. Um, there's some news about the nation's number one player, Deshaun Hand, and uh, he he was the MVP on the defensive line uh, at the uh, Rivals 100 Five Star Challenge, and uh, obviously looked dominated, just dominated like you would expect. Uh, those drills are certainly set up that it's it's easier for defensive players, but he looked the best out of all of them. Um, where there was some conflicting information about him visiting USC, he made a surprise today where he he trimmed his official list down and. Seems like USC could still be in the mix. What's going on there with Deshaun Hand? Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, you know going back to killing the messenger, and you know we're we're reporting things that uh, you know are just uh, positive things for USC. Well, the the odd thing was is I <laughs> talked to Deshaun Hand um, just as he was uh, getting in for registration and chatted with them really off record. I, I didn't put him on record, and I wasn't going to interview him. I just wanted to ask him, hey is USC still in it for you? You know, I don't want to waste your time. I know you got a million people who here want to interview you, want to talk to the number one player. Uh, you know, I, I knew him from last year's uh, five-star challenge in Atlanta and knew his coach, Coach Harris, and we chatted. 
and UFC just wasn't in it for him. I mean, he just bluntly said, you know, they're, they're kind of on the outside looking in. You know, I'm focused on some other schools. There's nothing really to report on USC. So that was that. He went over and talked with the, some of the national guys, uh, talked to Mike Farrell on video, and uh, talked to Adam Friedman, who uh, is doing uh, Mid-Atlantic stuff for Rivals right now. And those guys know him as well. And all of a sudden he decided he, uh, he wants to visit USC. Uh, USC, oh, yeah, USC, yeah, I, w- I want to go to Rising Stars camp. And so it went from, you know, I'm not going to USC to, yeah, I want to visit to USC to, you know, he talked to uh, one of the riders from uh, the Florida Gator site, and he had a date, you know, that he's going to Rising Star. So just that is a a kind of a microcosm of kids and what goes through their heads and what they tell people and what they want people to know and what they don't want them to know uh, and how it can change so quickly. I think coming away from that, having said all that about visiting, there's still – a lot of questions whether he's actually going to make it out to USC unofficially. Actually, the latest report, Mike Farrell was talking about him wanting to visit USC officially and not unofficially. So who knows? I mean, uh, it, it would be interesting if he came in an unofficial visit. I think it would definitely improve USC's chances. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I talked to him last year and we talked about USC, uh, he was, you know, buying into the hype a little bit, preseason number one, all the buzz, everybody's going to USC. And he talked a lot about engineering and engineering program. And now it's more about sports management and all this other kind of stuff. So, I mean, academically, the major of engineering, that would play in for USC. That would be a positive for USC. But as he starts to kind of go and, and, and minimalize, you know, academically the major he wants to take, and it's a little more of a broad major that you can just pretty much find anywhere, you know, USC all of a sudden isn't so special. So um, good player, solid player. I wasn't totally blown away with him. Number one player in the nation, unarguably, no, I don't agree with that. I think there's plenty of debate to still come with him. Um, there's uh, some good players out there and, and some guys that uh, I think are still part of that conversation. Uh, but certainly, I mean, USC would love to have him. I think he'd be a guy that would eventually grow into a defensive end uh, in a 3-4 system. It's going to be interesting to see. He might actually grow into being a defensive tackle even in a 4-3 system. He's about 260-plus right now and a bigger guy. He's more of a Kyle Moore type, a, a Sean Cody type, than he is uh, a weak side, uh, quick end like uh, Everson Griffin. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. I wanted to talk about there's a Fresno product that was in Chicago. Micaiah Quick, uh, he actually played some uh, some offensive well, kind of moved things around. Didn't seem to have the same kind of performance that, uh, that Adoree Jackson did. But what did you think about uh, Quick? I thought Quick actually played really well. Um, was quiet first day, and we had seen him at the uh, Rivals uh, camp in Los Angeles where he played both ways there too and really just didn't do a whole lot as a receiver, looked better as a cornerback. In this camp, he started playing cornerback, then he came over to receiver and watching him play receiver more and more, very smooth, very quick, great routes. Uh, his footwork was fantastic on his routes. I mean, he was doing some things that were real tricky uh, that, uh, I mean, I, I had not seen from him before. And some of the things that you see on tape, I think biggest issue for him is still speed. Uh, there's some things there that uh, you see on his highlight tape at the high school level and you question with his top-end speed, is he going to be able to do that at the college level just because, you know, those passing windows – they close a lot faster, and you're not going to be able to, you know, kind of make all those moves in space because there's not going to be space there to make those moves. Um, so there's still some questions about that. He wants to be a receiver. That's his preference. He says he's a receiver that can play cornerback, 
And basically, that's how USC is recruiting them. And, um, you know, I asked, are they looking at you as an X? Are they looking at you as a Z slot guy? He said basically all over. Um, he's going to be a guy that kind of fits in no position. And so I actually liked him more uh, in this camp than I did when we saw him regionally in Los Angeles and even when I've seen him in some seven-on-seven stuff. So he actually grew on me a little bit. He's looking at Oklahoma, Notre Dame. I think there's a few schools in there that are a little higher on his list than USC. I think he likes USC, but USC, again, is going to have to press him and going to have to make some moves on the field uh, for him to really, I think, be enamored and, and all of a sudden they become the team to beat. All right. Uh, yeah, McCoy, quick. I, I, I liked what he was doing out there. I mean, it was a little uh, – he, he didn't turn as many heads, I think, but he seemed to have like a solid performance. So we'll have to keep following him. Um, there's one guy I was following quite a bit uh, from uh, South Florida's Ermon Lane. Didn't have the the greatest day one, but I think he played a lot better on day two. A kid he just recently – a receiver, a big receiver that got a, a recent USC offer. Yeah, and I think uh, with Ermon Lane, you're really comparing him to uh, not even the guys that are at that camp, at that level of a national camp. You're kind of looking, okay, we've seen the guys locally that are here in California and maybe even the guys regionally that USC can recruit. They're going to go all the way to South Florida after a guy. Is he that good? Because you've got to have a guy that's just – Really, really, really spectacular. You know, Nelson Aguilar level guy. If you're going to go all the way and spend all your time in South Florida trying to recruit him away from Miami and Florida and Alabama and all these other schools that are in the Southeast, I didn't feel like he played to that level. He's a good player, he's got good size. Um, his hands are not that great. You know, he fought the ball a lot in the first day, played a little better the second day. Um, you know, I, I think really what's the, the unique thing about him is that he really has good top-end speed for a guy that's about 6'3". He runs fast once he gets going. He can separate, but he has to get going. Some of those smaller cornerbacks gave him some trouble when he couldn't get off the line. He couldn't separate because he just isn't quick. He's faster than he is quick. So, you know, the debate of, you know, can they sit there and spin their wheels on a guy all the way out of South Florida at Homestead and, you know, overlook guys locally, I, I don't think USC can. I don't know if he's that level guy. He is going to come out to Rising Stars, or at least he was com- coming out to Rising Stars last time we spoke to him. Like I said, these things change, you know, minute by minute with these kids. He was coming out to Rising Stars. So we'll see how that, um, you know, how that uh, forms his recruitment and if USC makes that decision that, you know, he's good enough to go ahead and, and continue to recruit and, and spend a lot of resources on. Um, there were some great 2015 kids I wanted to uh, discuss. Uh, maybe the first one was Iman Marshall, Biggie. Uh, what do you think about him? I thought he played great. Uh, first day, was getting rave reviews from his coaches, listened, technically sound, um, big, strong, uh, showed good speed. You know, he got caught a couple times. A couple times he got beat deep. Uh, those passes weren't completed on him, but if they were really good balls, they would have been completed on him. Hard to know if that was man coverage or if it was cover two and the safety maybe didn't go over fast enough. Um, but he played really well. Didn't play a whole lot in seven-on-seven. Seven. You didn't see his name pop up a lot in a lot of the articles and a lot of the analysis, mainly because he just came from track and he had kind of a sore hamstring. So he was in and out. You know, we did see him in there. He got a, cam- uh, a 
a helmet cam on him, so you're going to be able to see uh, him cover guys uh, firsthand, uh, basically first-person view uh, of him, too, so you can make up your own mind as to whether he was covering those guys tight or not. Uh, but what, from what I saw, I thought he played really well, and I think uh, – you know, that 2015 class, I think, across the board really, really represented themselves well for California and the West Coast. And then uh, Josh Rosen was another one. What about him? Yeah, and Josh didn't get to play in the seven-on-seven tournament because he was uh, basically an alternate for quarterbacks in case somebody got injured, somebody's arm started to hurt. Um, and I think by the time we got into maybe the third game of the uh, the tournament, uh, the guys that uh, were were – the guys that had assembled uh, his team, which uh, I can't remember if he was Team Flicker or I'm not, I can't or Team Rivals. I think it was whatever Flick. team he was a part of. He what had team green was it? on. I think it was Flicker. Flicker. No, Flicker was a green team. He was a silver team. Can't remember oh, okay. which team that was. Yeah, I'm not sure either. That might have been Tumblr. Tumblr was the team. That's what it was. And and so his team had a quarterback and I can't know, I can't remember his name. I wouldn't even want to say his name, but he wasn't that good. <laughs> he, was not, he was not, he was not good. And he did not play consistently. He just was not throwing the ball. He was holding on to the ball. And uh, there were some people that definitely would have liked to see Josh Rosen get more reps, uh, <laughs> you know, in that game. Cause he looked really good when he was in position drills and threw the ball, put great spin on it, great arm, um, did really well, but we didn't get to really see him in seven on seven, and that's the true test, you know, when you see coverage and at that level, you know, with the defensive backs, the speed. That's what we saw, you know, for Max Brown last year. We saw Max Brown force some balls, and he wasn't able, you know, uh, to 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 complete maybe some passes in the end zone uh, in that short field on a seven on seven that you would normally be able to, you know, complete on a regular high school football game. So. That's kind of the, the test for him. We didn't get to see that so much. But you know what we did get to see from him? He was, he was very good. I think he's a guy that uh, definitely didn't do anything to hurt his stock as uh, one of, if not the top quarterback in the top two, 2015 class in the West Coast. Uh, a couple other Sarah kids, uh, John Houston and uh, Rasheem Green. Maybe you want to share some thoughts on that. Yeah, John Houston, I, I feel like, really established himself – is probably the top player on that Sarah team for 2015. And, you know, Rasheem Green is right there. Rasheem Green is an excellent talent, a natural talent, a guy that, you know, you still kind of have to figure out, is he going to be a defensive tackle? Is he going to kind of stay where he is and stay a defensive end? Um, really good player, natural strength. But I think with John Houston right now, the focus – um, just the, 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 the way he plays and handles himself, he has those intangibles that at this point in time, I think gives him an edge on a lot of those 2015 prospects. He played really well. Uh, that's again, that length and that height that he has caused really tight passing lanes. He had an interception because of that really kind of doped the quarterback into trying to dunk a ball into the running back. And, uh, he just jumped in the air and just snatched it up. The quarterback didn't put enough air under it. And, uh, you saw that, you know, you saw him baiting some quarterbacks, you know, had some good uh, pass deflections in the flats. Um, you know, there were some times where, you know, some of those running backs, you get a guy like Joe Mixon or, uh, Leonard Fournette, those guys can get on you really fast and they've got good speed and you don't want to get the, uh, you know, behind them. And, uh, he had, you know, a couple issues where he got behind on some of those guys but overall I thought he was one of the stronger linebackers um, in the camp and uh, I just you know sky's the limit when you got a guy that's uh, you know 210 pounds and about 6'3 you look at his frame and you can be able to be you know 225 230 probably by the time he gets out of high school yeah no I, I like the way he looked too a uh, couple of northern California guys 
Derek Calhoun, uh, Darius Pickett, um, got to see them. They're on different teams. But uh, what do you think of what they did? Pickett played well. Pickett was solid. You know, didn't, again, nothing spectacular for him, but was, was pretty solid. Um, I think with, you know, Calhoun, I said it going into the camp, this is not his environment. You know, you see him in space going against Joe Mixon, and, and you know, Joe just makes people look silly in space. I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, he's running right up into the line, which you would have offensive linemen and defensive linemen, and he's making a juke in the middle of the field and then, poof, takes off, you know, deep and he gets beat. In a normal football setting, you know, they're going to have those linemen there, and it's going to be much harder for him to get full speed running straight at the middle linebacker. So, you know, a guy like Derek Calhoun, really, you want to see him with pads on. You want to see him running uphill, downhill. And um, I think he played okay, but he and Jamadre Cobb both, not necessarily their environment. Um, none of the inside linebackers, even Raekwon uh, McMillan, were, you know, spectacular in drills. I think, you know, the best guy was probably Trey Williams. Um, and again, you know, spectacular, I, I wouldn't say spectacular. I, I think that's a position that it's very difficult to evaluate in this kind of uh, setting. Uh, well, we had a couple uh, questions I wanted to get to, but is there someone I missed? Is there anyone else that you felt we should uh, discuss from uh, the, the five-star challenge that, that we didn't ask about yet? Nope, this is rapid fire, so we got to move on. Let's move on. All right. Uh, well, you, actually, did we talk about Joe Mixon? We didn't talk about Joe Mixon, but at this point, Joe Mixon uh, says that, you know, USC had two five-star running backs that they signed last year. He's not afraid of competition, but he's got to make a smart decision. So take that however you want it. Uh, I think, you know, with USC, they're kind of on the outside looking in with him. The good news is that uh, talking to Darius Pickett and Derek Calhoun, you know, there's a lot of talk about them being a package deal with Joe Mixon. They don't want to go to the same school. We talked to them about that in Chicago, and they kind of backed off of that. It's like, you know, we'd like to go to the same school. We have a lot of overlapping scholarship offers, but at the end of the day, we all kind of have to make our own decision. And I think that, that's good for USC because I think right now Calhoun and Pickett are very high on USC. Mixon is looking at that depth chart, and he's got his head filled with, you know, SEC schools and, you know, Michigan, and he's kind of all over the place, I think, with schools. But but one thing that uh, I think everybody's done a good job, um, you know, uh, other than USC, you know, the schools that are competing against USC is, you know, pounding the, the fact that USC signed Justin Davis and Ty Isaac. Granted, Ty Isaac, we kind of have to see how he develops. I mean, physically, he could all of a sudden be a tight end or maybe outside linebacker, maybe not play running back, and then you've just got Justin Davis. But, you know, that's, that's – you know, has to be something that is figured out as you go along, and that's why USC's got to keep recruiting them. But at this point, they got some ground to make up. All right. Well, let's get to a couple of questions then. Um, John in Texas, but he's from Laguna Beach, had this interesting one. He said, this year, we actually have more scholarships available than last year. However, last year at this time, there was a much larger oral commit list. Uh, he gives four points here. Uh, what do you think is causing the reservations why there's not more uh, verbal commits at this point? He said, one, having greater scholarship numbers, therefore not feeling the need, the urgency to commit. Uh, two, lack of success on the field. Three, Lane Kiffin's job status. Four, the Pac-12 becoming somewhat minimalized and greater attraction of players towards the SEC. And so I asked this question because many of the schools we recruit against nationally have at least double the number of verbal commits for 2014 uh, even Mac Brown at Texas is on the bubble, yet they still have 14 recruits. 
Any of your thoughts would be appreciated. That's John in Texas. Wow, that's a, that's a long question that requires a short answer. Yes. Um, the short answer is all of the above. I mean, I think they all play a factor. I think they all can be taken into consideration, um, you know, on average per recruit. I think the greatest factors, though, really are success on the field and Lane Kiffin's job security. Kids, especially out of state, they don't really look at USC seriously right now until they feel they have an idea who that coaching staff is going to be there the next three years, four years. And so that uncertainty, it kills out-of-state recruiting. And then also just going out there and beating people. I mean, they want to play on a good team. Nobody wants to go to a bad team. Kids that are good players that go to bad teams, it's because there's some type of relationship or there's some type of connection with an assistant coach on that staff, and there's this and that. But again, you're looking at the overall staff and the job security there, and if USC doesn't win, then those assistant coaches aren't going to be there either, or possibly. I mean, there may be some holdover, but in general, that's a very easy thing for other schools to recruit against. You're going to get a lot of negative recruiting on Lane Kiffin not being there, and you're going to get a lot of recruiting about who USC didn't beat last year. So that's very easy. Those other factors, they do come into play, but I think the two biggest factors are definitely the, the coaching staff, the job security there, and and the lack of success on the field. Um, and I think what should be noted, you'd mentioned Texas. Texas always just gets a lot of local kids. They get them all early. That's the MO. They've done that for years. Last year was something that USC did differently. They usually don't get all those early commits. And when you have a, a quarterback, that usually helps. That, that changes the recruiting class, having a, a top quarterback in early. So I think there's a lot of different factors why it didn't look the same. Like this year won't look the same as last year. Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, USC rode the wave a little bit and, you know, wanted to get all those commits in early. They wanted to focus on the 2014 class and it backfired on them because, you know, the season was still to be played and you had a lot of guys dangling out there in SEC land and uh, in the Midwest and, and places where you start to lose games and things go south for you. It just there's there's college coaches and everybody else lined up just to tell you how bad the team is that you're committed to. All right, we got uh, one last question, David in the OC. I don't see or hear much about the two SC USC commits, Teo Lobendon and Jordan Poland. Any news on these guys? Why have we not been seeing them at any of the football camps? Uh, well, Teo Lobendon actually went to the Nike camp and was okay. Um, I mean, you could probably say more about that, Ryan, because you covered the Nike camp for us. Uh, in terms of Jordan Poland, he hasn't gone to any camps. He's not going to play this year. He's basically taking sort of a red, or excuse me, a gray shirt this year, where it's an academic year for him at uh, Loyola, or not Loyola, uh, La Jolla, at Country Day High School down in San Diego. And so he's going to be a mid-year enrollee and just hasn't participated in anything. So you're not going to really hear a whole bunch about him. He's been pretty quiet, uh, hasn't really talked about the recruiting process. He's been to USC a few times, called him, doesn't really want to talk so much about it. So it's kind of hard to, you know, put a lot of information on a guy that is being pretty quiet. From what I hear source-wise, uh, he's still pretty solid for USC. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are around him that uh, are very pro-USC, you know, not just from a football standpoint, but from an academic standpoint. And we're talking about a guy that's a local guy. We're talking about a guy that's in San Diego and not in, you know, Tennessee or Kentucky or someplace where, you know, their neighbors are, are running around with orange pants on. <laughs> so uh, big difference there. Um, and, and again, with Lobendon, 
just, you know, he's been okay at the camps and, and, and been pretty quiet. He's a guy that, uh, you know, performance wise last year was, was okay. You know, wasn't, wasn't spectacular. He's a guy that I think really, he's a developmental guy. He's a guy that, uh, USC has to, uh, you know, hope matures physically and gets a little bigger, gets a little stronger. And definitely it's in his bloodlines. If you've ever seen his dad, Vince, uh, he, he is a good looking big dude. <laughs> he's, he's a, he's a guy that you go, wow, man, if, if, if Toa ends up being as tall and, uh, as, as big as his dad, then, you know, he's got no worries. So, um, it's, it's not really a guy that, uh, uh, just you're going to see a lot of drama about or, or you know, hear a whole lot about. He went to uh, the USC lineman camp, uh, was solid, um, and um, is still solid as a, as a commit. So it kind of stands to reason he's not going to be a guy that there's going to be a lot written about. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. We appreciate you uh, coming on and talking all about the five-star challenge and all the other big recruiting news that's been going on. There's a lot going on right now. Is that it? So we covered Matthew Thomas, we covered the five-star challenge, and we did questions. And I think we did it all in less than an hour. We did. That's pretty amazing. I, I, I'm impressed with you, Gerard. Okay. <laughs> well, sometimes we get, we get emails. Sometimes they love all the information, but they say sometimes we can go a little long on some of the stuff. But hopefully we did not do that today. We wanted to get you guys all the information on everybody that was down there at the camp, and, and definitely stay tuned to uscfootball.com. We'll have a ton of video coming up. You can check out some of these guys for yourself. You can see, is this guy really a four-star? Is this guy really a five-star? You judge for yourself when we show you the video. should be enough video of every guy. You get a pretty good idea for what kind of athlete he is. You can even pretend that you are the guy with the helmet, Cam. Yes, a, a couple of those coming up as well, so check that out. But thanks again, Gerard, for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for having me, and uh... Uh, we'll have a future podcast here because the camp season is just getting heated up. All right. Well, thanks to you, Gerard. Thanks to everyone else to listening to the Peristyle Podcast for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back regular show on Monday. Stay tuned for that. And thanks again for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 